This is the, uh, the last in this holiday series about uh, David and God's own heart. And you can't talk about David without talking about his worshipful life. He was a young, as a young lad, he composed and sang songs out in front of the sheep. He sang before a frazzled king and calmed him down. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem so that the people could enjoy God's presence. He wrote most of the Psalms, as Eleanor said, some of which we still sing today. This one, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. That was the top of the Israelite hit chart back in those days and for hundreds of years actually. It's mentioned 40 times in the Bible, that song, and over at least five books. Worship in David's temple is actually the blueprint for what we, what we do today in church. In David's temple they had professional singers, skilled musicians and worship leaders much as we do today. Now what's the first thing you think of when we talk about worship? Now we probably understand a lot about worship. I know you've, most of you have been church all of your life, but when we hear that word worship, don't we mostly think singing in church on Sunday? That's what's the first thing that comes into our mind. Singing in church on Sunday. And Sometimes it can be a bit controversial when you think worship. We all have so many different opinions about how worship should be conducted and what it should be done. And that will depend on our heritage, and our culture, our personality. All sorts of things uh, have gone into our understanding and our experience of worship. So let me tell, me, tell you mine. As a child and as a teenager, I grew up in a small country church of 60 or 70 people. The church was full at that, that size. And we loved to sing. We really did love to sing. We sang at the tops of our voices, all of us. Uh, men and women, boys, even teenage boys, believe it or not, and girls, we all sang really loud. We loved it. <clears throat> but we were conservative, arms down, hands on the seat in front, eyes open. We didn't move. We just sang move along about 10 or 15 years and the charismatic movement swept through our church and many others and just blew us away. They came with new songs and guitars and drums and amplifiers and it was so exciting and, and they danced and they moved and they raised their arms and they clapped and you know, we were in our 20s, what was not to like? We loved it and we learned all these new songs and it was great. But there was something very, very confronting about these charismatics. They were so emotional and they were full of so much joy when they worshipped. And, and we, I, I personally thought, these people seem to love Jesus more than I do, the way they worship. And that bothered me for a very long time. So this morning I want to share with you a little bit about uh, my journey with worship, and, and try and have, perhaps, maybe it'll, you'll come with me on this journey. Some of you may have taken the same, same one. First of all, what is worship? Let's start right from the beginning. What is worship? Now, you can read libraries full of books on worship, and I've chosen a couple that I read. Uh, one, which is a very easy read, is Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. And in, the, in that book, which I know many of you read, uh, his first purpose in life, he says, 
for us is to worship God. That's our first purpose. And, per- and that worship means bringing pleasure to God. That is our first purpose in life, is to bring pleasure to God. Psalm 147 verse 11 says, The Lord is pleased only with those who worship and trust his love. The dictionary, if you look up the word worship, says, Worship is the act of revering or honouring a God. A God. We are all born with, it's part of our DNA to worship. And that DNA, that, that desire to worship has been given to us by God to worship him, to worship the God. But as you know, not everybody chooses to do that. Some people choose not to worship the, the God, but they still worship. We all still worship something or somebody. It might be money or sex or power or sport or even our own selves, our own self and our self-image. Whatever we live for, whatever we sacrifice in life for, whatever I identify with, that's our God and that's what we worship. So we all worship, we just choose the God that we worship. God, however, is looking for true worshippers. If you remember the story of, of Jesus at meeting the woman at the well, the conversation at the well turned to worship. And Jesus said to the woman, he is looking for true worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. True worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, this is such a well-known verse. Most of us know this verse and have known it all our life, that God is looking for true worshippers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. But try and explain that in simple language. It's not really that easy. What does it really mean? But if you look it up in the message version of the Bible, it makes it very clear what this verse means. In the message, uh, John 4, sorry, John 4, 23 and 4 says, it's who you are, and the way you live that counts before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Now this verse is the very heart of what I want to say this morning because we have so many different ideas of how we should worship and we look at others and think, oh, they worship better than I do and and their worship is more sincere and la la la. But no, what God is looking for is true worshippers who worship by simply and honestly being themselves in worship out of their own being, their own spirits, their true selves in adoration. So I want to try and sort of explain that this morning as I'm going along. Worship, as Pete said this morning, is not just a part of our life. It's not just singing on Sunday in church, but it's our whole life. Everything that we do is to be an act of worship. Psalm 113 says, From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. I bet some of you could sing that. 
some of you older ones of my age, <coughs> was a favourite of us, from rising of the sun to the going down of the same. And in Romans 12, verse 1, which Peter's already read to us, so here's what I want you to do, it says in Romans 12, 1. Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday life, your ordinary life, <coughs> your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. This is true worship, your everyday life. All right, that's what is worship. How do we worship? For how do we worship, I'd like to divide this into two parts. One, how we worship God as individuals and how we worship corporately. <clears throat> Rick Warren again, in his, in his chapter on worship, says, Our purpose in life is to bring pleasure to God. And God smiles. God smiles when we love him wholeheartedly, when we trust him completely, when we obey him consistently, when we thank him continually, and as we use our gifts and abilities for him. This is a bit much, uh, a little bit like what Eleanor preached a couple of weeks ago, talking about David. <coughs> David, who was uh, a man after God's own heart, and, and Eleanor said, David trusted God and pursued God and loved God. And this is very much what Rick Warren is saying. When we do this, God smiles and we bring pleasure to him. Now, if you look at the first four of those, loving him, trusting him, obeying him, thanking him, we, we all do that pretty much the same way. But using our gifts and abilities for him as an act of worship, well, we'll obviously we'll all do that a little bit differently because we all have different gifts and abilities. Do you remember, some of you might remember the, the movie Chariots of Fire, which was about an Olympic gold medalist called Eric Liddell, uh, who is famous for running fast and famous for not running in the Olympics on Sunday because that was the day of the Lord. But he was quoted as having said this, <clears throat> I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Here's a question for you to toss around at lunchtime. When do you feel the pleasure of God? Let me finish my story about how the charismatics made me think they loved God more than I did. Next chapter. Move along another 10 or 15 years. After I'd finished raising my children, my family, I went back to teaching my career and I was employed, I got a job at a Christian school which was attached to and staffed by Charismatic Church. So I got, for seven years, I got to work and teach and, and get to know these wonderful charismatic people, and it was wonderful. And do you know what I learned over those seven years? They loved Jesus just the same as I did. They just expressed it differently. They just worshipped differently. But when you get to know them, they, would, they loved Jesus just the same. Towards the end of that seven years at that school, the pastor from that church, Pastor Mark Connor, gave a staff devotion, which I could practically quote to you word, to word, word for word today. It was called, How We Express Worship Differently. Unbelievable. It was just what I needed. 
Now, like I said, I could quote that to you, but I won't, because if you go back to Rick Warren's book, he actually quotes uh, a book by Gary Thomas called Sacred Pathways, which is all about how we express our worship to God differently. And he, he lists about nine. I've just got a few here this morning, which uh, might help you to find yourself in how you might worship God. The first one is the nature lover. Now, the nature lover loves to worship God outdoors. So that might be the farmer looking out over his fields or the gardener looking at her flowers, the camper, the walker sitting around a fire looking up at the stars and their soul just thinks, sings, my God, you're amazing. That's where their soul sings and they find pleasure with God. Then there's the creative people, the musicians, the poets, the artists, the designers, even people like carpenters and chefs who love to work with their hands to create beauty. When they're doing that, their soul just sings as they make beautiful things. It's just, it's just an expression of their love for the Lord. Then there are the traditionalists. Now, these people actually love ritual and liturgies and prayers from the Bible. And if it was the same every week, that wouldn't matter to them at all. Every time it is meaningful. They sing, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. They could say that every week and every week it is meaningful and wonderful and their soul just sings. Then there are the introverts. They feel the presence of God in solitude and in simplicity away from the crowds. They might not be very expressive here at church, but if you could sneak up at them at home, they'd have the music turned up loud and they might even be dancing. But... It's on their own. <clears throat> then there are the, uh, the intellectuals. These people love the word of God and they just soak themselves in it continually and just draw from it so much life and so much joy. They could study it endlessly uh, because to them, to be in the word of God and to be learning the word of God, it just makes their soul sing and they feel the presence of God. And the caregivers... These are probably the, the people people who, who just love to get around and ask everybody, how are you going? How are you doing? Can I pray for you? And, and their favourite time of church every Sunday is after the benediction, the meet and greet. And they truly do love to care for people. And when they're with people, they feel the presence of God and their soul just sings. Then the, and lastly, there are the activists. These people love to fight for a cause. They love to raise funds for a cause, maybe even write for a cause, but when they're fighting for something, they feel the pleasure of God and their soul just sings. So that's how we, we worship individually, all in our own different way. So corporately, how do we all so differently come together on a Sunday and worship in one place in one way. How does it work? 200 people, all so different, coming together to worship in one place. How does that work? Well, firstly, according to our differences, we'll probably enjoy different parts of the service. The, the creative people will love the music. And I would say the people on the platform love what they do, love it. It just is an overflowing of their gifting and their ability. And they, when they're leading us in worship, there's just great joy and pleasure for them in doing that. 
uh, the introverts will love the quietness of the prayer time. The caregivers will love the, the fellowship afterwards. We'll all enjoy different parts. The intellectual will love the sermon. Love, you know, what, what are we going to learn today? So we will enjoy different parts, and that's fine. That, that's normal. Secondly, how do we all come together and worship as one is through music. In, in a book by Don McKin, McMinn called Entering His Presence, he says this, Music has the unexplainable ability to unify. When a worship service begins, people from all walks of life come together and when we sing, we are reminded of our oneness in Christ and are encouraged, comforted and motivated regarding the things of the Lord. It has nothing to do with musical style, with volume or speed or oldness or newness. It has nothing to do with all of that. That's just all personal opinion and preference. And there's really actually no such thing as Christian music. Music is just music. There is only Christian lyrics. And it is the job of, of our worship leaders to, to take uh, the music and make it easy for us to sing together. And we are very blessed in this church, are we not? To have such great worship leaders and great musicians who lead us so well every week and make it easy for us to sing together. When we come together, our motive should be, first and foremost, to bring glory and pleasure to God. So lastly, last of all, what happens, what happens when we worship? When we worship individually and corporately together? But mostly corporately. What happens when we worship corporately? Well, wonderful things happen. First of all, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. In Psalm 22, verse 3, and many other verses, it says, You are holy, yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned on the praises of, his, of Israel. When we praise him together, we are agreeing to his lordship. When God's people begin to worship him in spirit and in truth, Christ will soon be present in a very real and powerful way. And his, work, his power can begin to work amongst us. God is at home in our praises. He loves to be here with us. Whether we're at home singing on our own or whether we're here together in church, when we praise him, he comes and is amongst us. And he settles down and does his work. Isn't that actually why we come to church? To experience the presence of God? The second thing that happens, which obviously runs on from it, is that when we praise the Lord, the devil flees. It just goes together. When we are praising the Lord and saying, Jesus is Lord and Jesus is wonderful, Satan can't stand it. It reminds him that he is a doomed and defeated foe. And he flees. As Keith Applegate likes to say, the wicked flee. The wicked flees. <laughs> Satan is a destroyer, but the word says that Satan is overcome by two things. One that Christ has accomplished and one that we must do. Revelation 12 verse 11 says, They overcome him because of the blood of the Lamb, what Christ has done, and because of the word of their testimony. 
Praise is very much a part of the word of our testimony, telling aloud together the wonderful character and works of Jesus, reminding ourselves of his great salvation. And the devil hates it, and you love that. We don't need to give in to despair or defeat as individuals or as a church, but praise him instead. Isaiah 61 verse 3 says that God will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair, so that they will be called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. There's another one I'm sure some of you could sing. Why do we wallow in ashes and mourning and despair when we could have a crown of beauty and oil of joy and a garment of praise? It is one of the tools in our, our weaponry against Satan is praise. And when we are overcome with, with things like despair, when we praise him, it lifts and it goes because God inhabits the praises of his people. And it's not just us who are blessed when we praise the Lord. And it's not just God. Another wonderful thing that happens when we praise the Lord together is that the lost are brought closer to God. Let me read you two testimonies that I've heard just in these last two months. I've heard these tests quite by chance. And I asked these ladies to write them down because they blew me away. Here's one. When I stood in my first worship service, I was overwhelmed by the powerful lyrics of a love that would never end, but was just as powerful. But what was just as powerful was looking around and seeing people's response to this love. People looked like they genuinely wanted to be there. In the moment, soaking up the truth of the lyrics, not wanting to be anywhere else. People looked content, peaceful, joyful. I was moved to tears by this new revelation. And after a few more services and many more tears, I decided I wanted in. I wanted to have that feeling that I witnessed during worship. And so began my journey in relationship with Jesus. It was definitely the worship that moved me and reached me way before anything else. Here's the other testimony. A woman of a different generation altogether. I was brought up in a loving Roman Catholic family and went to church regularly. So I was used to the rituals and the rules of the Catholic faith. It was in my early teens that I went to a Protestant church for the first time in my life. It was a small evangelical church and for the first time I witnessed a group of people who were enthusiastic in worshipping God there was music and singing and all totally foreign to me. They sang with gusto as they praised God. And I saw that they connected with a living God and they knew Jesus, not just a statue in the front of the church. They had a relationship with Jesus. I didn't understand it, but it was the start of a journey that I took to find out more. I noticed that when the person at the front prayed, it was a member of the congregation and not the priest, and he prayed from the heart, not a book. There was such a freedom in their worship of him and their love for Jesus showed. 
Years later, it was not my, I discovered that it was not my good works, for example, attending church, but it was the grace of God that showed, God showed me in Jesus' death on the cross and I became his child. For both of these women, one entered a traditional church where they sang hymns to an organ. The other one entered a modern contemporary church much like this one. But both women saw the same thing. They saw people worshipping God and loving God and experiencing great joy in his presence. And it began their journey towards God and towards finding Jesus as their saviour. I find that just wonderful, just amazing. It's just so good. And the last thing that happens, following on from that, when we worship the God, when we worship God together, is that the church grows. In Acts, the church in Acts chapter two, verse forty-two says, "Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." So many wonderful things happen when we praise the Lord in our own life, in our own heart and in our fellowship and in our meeting together and for the lost to see, to come and find Jesus in the midst of that. It's just wonderful. It doesn't really matter how we worship but it does matter that we worship with glad and sincere hearts in spirit and in truth not just in Sunday, but in everything that we do.